Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello, fellas. How are we doing on this fine Wednesday morning as we're taping this week? Doing well, just uh, bracing for a true Texas summer, which seems to be uh, starting to blow through here. Any day now. You know, my birthday's next week, and it's supposed to be 100 degrees on my birthday. <laughs> How many times has your birthday actually matched the temperature? Which which release the number of Campbell, candles <laughs> on your cake. Yeah, well, something like that. What an amazing just, coincidence. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Anyway, uh, so... Did you get a letter from the president for your 100th birthday, too? Uh, funny, Evan. That's funny. You know... No, but, but he got on a Smucker's label. I'm calling HR and complaining about uh, ageism uh, being practiced on this podcast and, and making fun of the fact that I'm the oldest guy on this podcast. I'm I'm really I'm really sensitive about that now. So, so yeah, I, I I think when you complain to HR, I think once they hang up the phone, they'll just go. Somebody will say who was, and they'll go, oh, just that old guy, that old coot. He's just rambling again. Sports, <laughs> rambling about stupid. You know, stuff. you just listen to him a little bit, nod your head, and they go away. Let's just, yeah, yeah. much like cool. people taking this podcast. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Well, we're we're going to talk about uh, today some from pretty bad news over on the on the Ranger side on Evans' beat. Uh, we kind of figured this might happen uh, at some point. Something like this could happen. Uh, but it was pr- pretty much the worst of all possible outcomes for Jacob DeGrom. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how they handle that going forward. So, Evan, what was it like out there uh, at the ballpark Tuesday after the announcement about Jacob DeGrom's elbow? Well, I, you know, I mean, I think the visual and the uh, the audio that everybody is going to remember is Jacob breaking into tears when asked how he was doing and trying to discuss the, the surgery. It's hard. These guys don't, these guys don't sign up to rehab. They sign up to play and compete. And what Jacob deGrom is going to have been doing for more than four years is basically just going to work every day to, you know, move his elbow or move his scapula inches or, you know, build strength. It's, it's a really frustrating thing. Um, I do think that where this team is concerned because of the way this team has played and because they've played for a month without Jacob deGrom already, five weeks really, um, and because of the way Nathan Uvalde has kind of taken over the pitching staff, both uh, from a leadership standpoint and from a performance standpoint, I don't think this team is going. I don't want to say they're going to. They're not going to miss a beat. I mean, I think there are going to be things that they need to address going forward. But this is still a very good baseball team. They've proved that they're a very good baseball team. They can. They have the ability to withstand the loss of of Degrom. It's a bad day for the Rangers, um, but then they went out and you know won a game against St. Louis and. Extended their record to forty and twenty, the best uh, the best start in club history, and it, it, it's just a team that is playing right now as a unit, and because of that, they can continue to I think withstand the occasional loss of a part, no matter how good that part is. Evan, yeah, don't you think that when Chris Young signed Jacob Degrom, 
he knew that this possibility was out there and or something less. I mean, this is the worst case scenario, right? I mean, there was nothing worse than this where he was going to end up missing, you know, 12 months, 18 months, however long it was going to be. I mean, he may miss all of next year. So uh, that that is absolutely the worst case scenario. But, I, you know, the, the fact that he might miss, you know, a month or two or three or whatever – don't you think that really that what Christian was hoping that was that September and October he'll be here, right? I, look, I, I think the Rangers felt like it was entirely possible that he was going to miss at least a year at some point in time during the course of his contract. I think they just hoped it wouldn't be in the first year because it was the, the contract was essentially uninsurable this year. So um, they're just out the money. All that said, I, I think Ray Davis is going to be okay. Um, I think financially he'll be just fine. And I think the fact that Diamond Sports Holdings was basically ordered to pay the full amount of their their TV rights last week will make sure that, that he's okay financially. Um, and I just want to say I'm very really glad to hear that. I was really worried about Ray. Yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, but I, I, I think the Rangers were prepared – to be without Jacob deGrom for a significant part of this contract. It's part of why this six-year option was built in that specifically said it would be a club option if if he was to be gone for, you know, I think it's 160 consecutive days due to arm or elbow surgery. Uh, so they knew it was there. I, I think what had been frustrating for the Rangers over the last month had been that one day deGrom felt okay, would go out and throw a bullpen, and guys were seeing, uh, that's Jacob DeGrom's stuff there. That's 98 miles an hour. And the physiology, you know, you play through that physiology in your head, and you're like, well, how could there be anything wrong with his elbow if he's throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour? Then he'd come in another day and not feel 100%. So that was frustrating that they didn't have clarity. They've got clarity now. They have a lead in the American League West. They know what they have on their hands. They know what they need to do to address it, and they've got both the financial capital and I think the the player inventory to go out and make deals to shore up this rotation at the proper time. I think the thing the Rangers have to sort through right now, Kevin, and you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, is the bullpen and the rotation now become both become, I think, issues you want to address before the end of the season. Um, right now you've got some luxury that your five guys in the rotation are healthy and have been performing very well, but there is some, there, there's some, it's been thinned out behind them. The bullpen is perhaps a more pressing issue, though it's pitched well for the last couple of weeks. So where do you rank this? Do you rank it? Do we need to go out and get a starting pitcher and go and, and then move Dane Dunning back to the bullpen if, if you're the Rangers? Or do you say, Let's just make this simple and go out and get a reliever. And if and when we need to get a starter, then we'll get a starter. Yeah, uh, listen, to, to me, there's no question that this team, the, the, the main priority is a closer. Uh, when we talk about bullpen, there's a difference between saying bullpen help and a closer. Uh, that's, that's different, you know, and they don't have that. You know, they have people that they've been moving in and out of the rotation, and those guys have done well, obviously, because the guys at the top end have done so well. Uh, look, they're, they're getting out-of-world performance from Ivaldi. They're getting uh, now out-of-world performance from John Gray. 
uh, a guy who maybe has tapped into that potential that, that the people have always seen in him. And then Martin Perez is not pitching as well as he did last year, but he's still pitching pretty well. Uh, certainly uh, good enough for a third starter. So uh, they're, those three guys have been really good. Uh, and then you, you put in the after that when Dave Dunning has been pretty good. Uh, Andrew Heaney's had his moments where he's been pretty good as well. Certainly as good as you're going to find at the bottom of most, most rotations. So everything's pretty good there. But they have not – even though Will Smith has, has pitched very well, and I guess, I guess he has, what, 11 saves now? Uh, he's at, at the top of the league in, in the bullpen. Uh, I just don't trust him with his stuff in high leverage playoff caliber situations. He just doesn't have the stuff for that. He's very effective in his role, and I, and I think he's great for this bullpen. I don't want to, to diminish what he is doing. You know, he, he has quieted everything down there. It was, that place was on fire before he got there, and he has put out the fire. But if you're going to be a uh, – and listen, let's, let's just say right now, the expectation has been ratcheted up. Uh, there's no more, well, will they make the playoffs? They better make the playoffs after this start. If they don't make the playoffs after this start, well, then there'll be some questions to be answered. Uh, this is a team, to me, that has potential to get to a World Series, and you're not going to go to the World Series with a closer who doesn't have better stuff than Will Smith. So they have to do, go get somebody. But go I ahead. do think that the expectations were ratcheted up partly from the idea that, hey, we're playing this well right now. And we'll have Jacob deGrom at some point, potentially, for the playoffs. It does make me perhaps a little less willing to go all, all in um, on on pieces. But I do think you you need to reinforce a couple of areas of this roster. Oh, there's no question about that. And, you know, if you can, and you wrote about that, you talk about the five. Five uh, uh, starters they could go out and get. If I'm going to expend uh, capital, right, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still ranking closer above that. I don't know what it's going to take to get you a closer, to like Alexis Diaz, somebody like that, who I think is, you know, is young, electric, you know, a guy you would have under control for multiple years. You know, when's the last time, Evan, they've had that kind of closer, you know, uh, that they had for multiple years? Really, you know, Joe I- Nathan? Yeah, Joe Nathan, and, you know, and that that's just too long. This organization has has gone too long trying to patch together a bullpen. They've done a they've done it, frankly, a tremendous job. That was one of John Daniels' biggest strengths, I thought, was a, his ability to put bullpens together. But finally, it got to them, you know, in, in the end. Uh, and and they need to have it. So so to me, if it's going to cost you a little bit more to get that, uh, because we all know how much a, a frontline starter would cost you. I mean, at this point. They're not – I don't know. If you, you do whatever you have to do. And if you can go out and make a Cliff Lee deal, well, then make a Cliff Lee deal, and, and that puts you over the top at this point. But uh, failing that, I don't know. To me, you, you're not going to trade for a four or a five, I don't think. You're going to trade for a three is, is what you would try to do. Somebody who, who, who potentially could pitch in the postseason, uh, and if not in the rotation, at least in the bullpen. So you want somebody in there, and, and that's going to cost you. But now, if you're talking about, you know, you're not going to get a one, and you're not going to get a one, and you're probably not going to get a two. Uh, so, uh, so to me, that's how you balance. What's going to cost me more, and what do I think I really need more? 
I think the problem is that the two closers that might, for me, have the most long-term uh, value are Alexis Diaz and David Bednar. And both of those guys are playing for teams right now that I don't think are yet in sell mode. You know, if you're looking for teams that are already in sell mode, you'd have to look at more like uh, the Royals. And so you're looking at a Roldis Chapman or Scott Barlow. Um, or you're looking at the White Sox and you're looking at Kendall Graveman or Liam Hendricks. And Liam Hendricks is a different story altogether because I think the Rangers would be a team to whom he'd veto a trade to uh, because of their lack of a pride game. And I don't want to make this a pride discussion, but the man is on the record as saying, I don't want to go to a team that, that, has, that doesn't have a pride night. The Rangers are the only team that doesn't, and he's got limited no trade protection. So my guess is that the Rangers are on that list of teams that he can veto a trade to. Um, so I, I think if you want to go out and acquire, I, I think the way you're saying it, Kevin, is that the piece that you'd like to get would be an absolute lockdown closer. And I think if you want to get an absolute lockdown closer, you're going to have to wait still a little while for that market to sort itself out. If you'd like to get help for the rotation, I think there are some potential guys that might be available within the next month that could bolster the rotation a little bit. Uh, it would probably mean moving Dunning back to the bullpen, but you're not going to go out and probably acquire a guy who would undoubtedly pitch in a playoff series for you as a starter. So I think that's what the Rangers have to weigh. Listen, we will. there will be a number of stories here over the next month about would the Rangers go out and get Shohei Otani? Would they go out and get Shohei Otani? I think that that's a far-fetched scheme because, look, I think it's cut and dry that he's going to end up with the Los Angeles Dodgers after this year. And the amount of capital you'd have to expend just to get him as a rental, I don't think it serves what the Rangers' long-term goals are here. Well, and look, and here's just another reason, because – uh, we, we said what we did about Ray Davis, and I wrote that today, that he's not Tom Hicks, and it was he was not a one-trick pony as Tom Hicks was with the sign of Alex Rodriguez, and then he didn't follow that up. But having said that, he is committed $185 million to a pitcher, guaranteed, who may never pitch again. You know, So uh, I, he's not going to spend that kind of money and then spend the kind of money it's going to take to re-sign uh, Shohei Otani. Who's going to end up making, you know, what, $40, 50000000 million a year? Uh, you know, it's just going to be an outrageous contract, whatever he ends up with the next time. So, uh, yeah, so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I do think, though, you know, the, the thing that we, we look at this Rangers team and everything they're doing uh, well is that, uh, that they are answering the bell everywhere you look on this team. I, I can't think of a time – when I've watched them play that I don't think that, well, they're going to get, they're going to get out of this. one. They're going to, they're going to be able to score a couple of runs here. There's, there's still enough time left. They're still going through the better part of the, well, you know, pretty much any part of the lineup, you know, and then we've talked about that, the, the depth of it and what guys like Ezekiel Duran are doing, what guys like Leone Tavares are doing, uh, you know, they sit Jonah Himes having a, a otherworldly season at catcher offensively. And of course he's a very good defensive catcher as well. They sit him down, bring back Mitch Garver. He's banging balls off the wall. So, uh, you know, is all of a sudden it's an embarrassment of riches for this team, uh, of what they're able to do in the lineup. 
I, I just, I, I got to tell you, I'm still just a little floored by all of it, considering what that just last year they weren't any good. <laughs> you know, how I, I just still struggle with the fact that how did they go from what they were last year and the years before that, frankly, when they look completely lost at the plate, when a guy would throw something off the plate and you would think, oh, this will be a bad swing. You know, uh, really the only guy I still see taking bad swings at this point is Robbie Grossman. I feel like that you can get Robbie Grossman out. You know, I look at the rest of these guys and think there's no easy way to get these guys out. They are simply not chasing pitches. You know, you know, Adonis Garcia will occasionally still chase a little bit. Um, and, and Josh Young will still chase a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, the rest of these guys are, are making pitchers throw pitches. Just like the other day when you uh, wrote that uh, story about uh, what they're doing with two strikes. That's amazing how, how well they're hitting with two strikes. Uh, you it, And I, I, I really would like to understand – how that was sold to them, that with two strikes, don't worry about it. Make, make them throw you a, a pitch that you like. Well, I think, I mean, listen, I think that there's several reasons for that. One, and we really can't understate this, it's the players executing it. But also, let's say this, that there is continuity in the hitting department with Donnie Ecker and Tim Hires. Uh, and, and you look and see what Tim did in Boston, and you look and you see what the turnaround from year one to year two with Donnie Ecker was in San Francisco, and there's a track record. And for me, you know, Donnie talks in a lot of big words a lot of times, and there's a lot of, of business kind of talk, but ultimately it comes down to this. Swing at pitches, you can do damage. And how do you, how do you communicate that to guys? You communicate how it, it comes down to how you communicate it. And I think that the continuity has helped allow for that to happen. So you had two guys that you spent $500 million on in Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, who last year clearly were uncomfortable at the start of the season. Um, that's where you start. Then, but by the end of the year, with Simeon and Seager and Lowe and Garcia, you had a legitimate top four hitters, even if Adolis was still chasing a little bit. But you had a legitimate top four hitters. The five bottom hitters in the in the lineup were automatic outs. Well, what's happened since then? Adolis has honed his strike zone a little bit more. Simeon and Seeger are far more comfortable in their, in their environment and far more comfortable with who they are and where they're at. Now, you look at Josh Young, who's the best rookie hitter this team has produced in a long, long time. He's hitting fifth. Haim, as you mentioned, I think is a guy who's made progress from last year, first half of last year. He showed some offensive growth. I think he got worn down in the second half. I think that was the biggest issue. But now we're seeing a guy who is maybe a little bit stronger than he was, um, who's a and little bit more savvy. And he's got a lot less hair. And he's got a lot less hair. More why, savvy why did, he, than why, why did he do that? I mean, why did he cut off his hair? Well, you know, tech, Kevin, the Texas Heat. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, even though he's now playing indoors. But uh, I don't. I have not gotten to the bottom of the hair uh, issue. I do think it has something to do with summer. Uh, but I will uh, now that we're now that we've gotten the minor stories out of the way, like what's going on with Degrom. I can get to the big issues, like Jonah Heim's hair. 
You know, I had a lot of people ask me that because, you know, I felt bad because I thought when I talked to him after the game the other day, I thought that surely someone's asking about this question. It's kind of hard not to miss the fact that he's, he's no longer has his Donna Reed hairdo. So, you but, know, uh, uh, but I guess, I guess, you know, it takes somebody like me coming in to ask the big questions and get to the bottom of the big stories. Yeah, that that's what we count on you for, Kevin. Um no. You know, you mentioned Grossman and Jankowski have been splitting some time in the outfield, but Ezekiel Duran is probably going to get the most of of the playing time out there. And look, Zeke has Zeke's been that thing that the Rangers haven't had in forever a young player who has exceeded expectations. Right? I mean, we've heard about young player after young player, and then they've come up here and they've just like not lived up to whatever the, the hype was. This was a guy who didn't have a ton of hype, and he's exceeded it. Um, well, I, I want to say this because you said that about Josh Young. And I, listen, I've been on the Josh Young bandwagon all along. I said within two years he'll be an all-star. And I, and I, and I still stand by that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Zeke Duran, is, he, he might be a better hitter than Josh Young is. And, I, and, that, and, and that, that guy has got some real potential – uh, as a baseball player. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Zeke that really impresses me is how hard the ball comes off his bat. Um, I think Josh is a really advanced hitter with a really good approach. And I think we also need to say, we've been impressed with Ezekiel Duran's defense at shortstop, but Josh Young's defense at third base has been a true tier above what the Rangers, I think, expected going in. He's been an above-average defensive third baseman. And that is another element of why this team is so much fun to watch right now. They play defense well. They win games defensively. They're third in the majors in runs saved. And the last week, it really stood out, right? The the double play that Corey Seager started on a really slow ground ball in Detroit in a, in a really high-leverage situation to, to get out of one jam. Adolis Garcia continues to throw guys out at, at the plate, um, threw a guy out at second base. It was a huge play. You know, you had Heim on Monday night with a big throw down to second base to, to cut down an inning late and win that Rangers walk-off win that um, was a big play. And you've had – I want to say this, that uh, that uh, Nate Lowe has, has scooped a few more balls at first base, too. I want to. I've, I've ragged on on Nate about his ability to do that, and I think he has done it more often lately. I've he's been better, play. and you know that the the two catches Jankowski made on on Sunday were outstanding. So it, it is just it's a it's a good all around team. This team spent a lot of time on fundamentals during spring training, and it shows. Um, that was the thing that was I think most disappointing about this team over the last two years is sure there were going to be weaknesses and the process was going to take some time. And there were some guys who were overmatched, but they just didn't do the things that were necessary to win games. They didn't, you know, we've seen the number of times the Rangers have, I I think there was a time on Monday night, Seattle or St. Louis played the infield back to concede a run and the Rangers took advantage of it. They hit the ball to the right side, scored a run and it was a big run. They've hit sacrifice flies. They have played defense. This is a good fundamental baseball team. You pair that up with good starting pitching and a lineup that is difficult to pitch to, and what you've got is a historic pace. 
Yeah, they've they've answered most of their questions. That's the thing about it is you look at any team that advances to the playoffs and goes to the World Series, and invariably it's because you know their starters were relatively healthy, which I think you you pointed out they've had one of the health they've had they've used the fewest starters, uh, or at least they're in the top five of the fewest starters used so far this season. Uh, which that's always a key. That was the key for that, especially that first World Series team for the Rangers. Uh, it, it's it's guys making contributions all up and down the lineup. It is going out and finding a Travis Jankowski, who was just brought in on a flyer. I mean, there was no reason to think that he was going to make the club and stick with it, and now he has. And and let's face it, you know, I, and I wrote this the other day, and I believe this, you know, Leo Tavares is a very graceful uh, center fielder with great range. But I don't believe he works the wall all that well. The times I've seen him go back to the wall, he seems a little awkward. Travis Jankowski looked like he was, you know, uh, a high jumper going over the fence when he took that ball away the other night. And then he went back to the ball to the wall and made another great catch. Uh, to, to have a guy like that as your who will ultimately be your fourth outfielder, well, that's that's terrific. These are the things that you can do. Uh, and, and late in games and make the right kind of moves. Uh, and, and, and I trust Bruce Bochy to make those kind of moves. Uh, he's going he's gonna to do what it takes to help this team along. And as, uh, and as Jonah Heim said the other day, when I asked him about the impact of Bruce Bochy, he said he just, he's just a calming effect in, in the dugout. You know, that goes back to something that Tom Greve used to always say and, will, and still says about Billy Martin. Uh, who was his manager at one point with the Rangers, we always knew that Billy was going to do something at some point that was going to help us win that game. You know, it was just, it was just something they had confidence in. And when you, when you have that kind of confidence in your manager and you also have the confidence that he's just not going to do something, you're going to go, what, why did, why did we do that? You know, when you, when you don't have that going on in the dugout, the guy that's the manager's got three rings, those things all make big differences. In, the, in what's happened here. All these things together, notwithstanding the loss of Jacob deGrom, the supposed ace, to me, kind of just cracks up to be a, a, a not only a playoff team, but a contending team for a world championship. And that's just I, kind of hard. It's still hard for me to believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think where we where we end this, and look, I, I, I don't know where this season ends for the Rangers, but I think where we end this is by saying that with or without Jacob DeGrom, this is a good baseball team, and it's a team to be reckoned with. All right, that does it for our Rangers segment. Now we're going to get over and talk about the Cowboys. Uh, they've got their mini camp this week, or closing out mini camps this week. Uh, they had a lot of uh, things go on out there, and one of them being the shuffling around in the offensive line, David, and that's drawn a lot of attention to the fact that Tyler Smith is back working at left guard with Tyron Smith at left tackle. Um, the fact that they're doing this right away, David, is this signal that this is how they're going to want to start off training camp in the season as well, or was just, just this something that they decided to do out of order? Well, I know there was a, uh, there's certainly on, on the, uh, Cowboys verse social media, there was a lot of consternation when, uh, Mike McCarthy and others in the organization just mentioned that. Well, you know, we wanted to cross-train these guys, look at some different combinations in the uh, 
um, in, in the offseason. And, and, you know, Terrence Steele, um, we like what he did at right tackle, but it might be interesting to see how he plays at left guard. And that way you could keep Tyron Smith out there and, and get your best five players on the line. And, and uh, you know, people are just going, what in the world are you talking about? It makes no sense. You can't do this. You guys don't know what you're doing. Uh, you're moving two tackles they took in last year's draft, the last two drafts, and Josh Ball and Matt Willetsko. You're working them at guard, and you're just saying, what, what's going on? Uh, why don't you just move Tyron Smith back to left tackle and bump Tyler Smith into left guard and go from there? Uh, that's what they did at the start of this three-day mini camp, which is the last uh, gathering, formal gathering for the Cowboys until they reconvene to go to training camp in uh, late July. But uh, I, I always thought this was the most likely scenario. People are going, well, you, you can't move Tyron, you know, Terrence Steele. It makes no sense. He was good enough at right tackle. Uh, you don't know, you know, how much Tyron Smith is going to play, which is the valid point in all this because, you know, Mike McCarthy is entering his fourth season as the Cowboys head coach. Tyron Smith has been unavailable for two of every three games that Mike McCarthy has been the head coach. So you have to anticipate that he is going to miss time. But, you know, my, my point was always, don't get bent out of shape by them just saying that they're intrigued to see Terrence Steele at left guard and you, and you, you know, extrapolate, well, that's what the line is going to be. Because Terrence Steele is coming off an injury. He hasn't taken part in the offseason program. He may not be ready for the start of training camp. So how much time has he worked at guard in order to even consider making that change? None. So I, I think this is something for down the road, and they're intrigued by position flex. Uh, and Mike McCarthy's always had that in the offensive line. But, I, you know, I, I think this I, I think this kind of calms everyone's nerves outside of the Cowboys organization about what this offensive line is going to look like. Uh, and all these things about, well, how are you going to replace Connor McGovern at left guard? You got to bump Tyler Smith inside. That's the best option. But I, I will also point out that this team has been pretty good the last few years when it had Connor Williams and Connor McGovern at left guard. And I think you can duplicate that level of talent at left guard, whoever winds up playing it. So, uh, you know, I, this is an offseason talking point that takes on more weight because it never advances, right? Uh, I mean, there's no contact in these in these off seasons now, uh, so you can't see how the offensive line looks. You're not going to get a feel of that until early August in training camp. So, but but yeah, I I think yesterday Mike McCarthy saying, okay, well now we we've we've worked all these other spots. Now we're going to put Tyron Smith at left tackle and, and bump Tyler Smith inside the left guard. I still think that's probably the most likely scenario based on the health of this offensive line going into the season. You know, uh, it, it probably is, and and I will say this. You know, I know there's, a, a, and a rightfully so, a feeling out there. If, if something's going well, why why would you screw with it? Uh, sure. And Terrence Steele was certainly working well at right tackle. But I always think back to Larry Allen, uh, who played at guard, who played at tackle. Uh, they moved him back and forth throughout his career, pretty much, and he still was one of the greatest offensive linemen in the history of the NFL. <laughs> Didn't seem to bother him any. So. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that what I would like to see is that, okay, everybody talks about, why don't you just put Tyler Smith at left guard? That's what you want him to do all along. Well, well maybe he's not a, as good at guard as Terrence Steele would be. Maybe Terrence Steele would be a better left guard. You know, he's he's pretty much considered a mauler, Terrence Steele now, uh, yeah. I'm talking about, as a run blocker, right? 
So that kind of defines a guard, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's exactly what you want from that position. So maybe he's better suited to play guard as good as he's been at right tackle. Maybe he's better suited to play guard. I don't know. And I think it's, it you know, behooves the Cowboys to find that out. These are the time, this is the time of year you want to find that out, right? Sure. For uh, sure. It, you know, they, there's nothing else going on. Let's just see what these guys do and let's see what the possibilities are. And, and, uh, and the, you know, they've done a good job uh, at, at finding these things. I, the one area I, I have confidence in the Cowboys and have had confidence in them over the last six or seven years uh, is in the offensive line. Uh, they, they, they find people and they usually find out the best place for them to play. Yeah. And I, and I think everybody, uh, again, I think the problem is everyone thinks that, well, when you're looking at a guy, you know, we, we see just one practice week. Now this week we see three practices because it's a mini camp and it's mandatory, but in the sessions open to the media, those are the only ones we report on for what we've see. And then you report, Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, Terrence Steele, who, again, who's not in this camp, but Terrence Steele ran with the first team uh, at left guard for the first two possessions. People assume that's like cemented and that's where they want to go. No, they're just seeing if it's a viable scenario to do going forward. And and they know there are going to be injuries on the offensive line. Uh, Don't just look at the Cowboys line in the last few years. Look across the league. It's very, very difficult. Uh, Hardly any team the starting five that goes into the season, hardly any team finishes with the same starting five in the offensive line once the season's over. Uh, so you want to be able to mix and match some. And, and Mike McCarthy is always like the athletic tackles with size and wingspan that you can move inside to play guard if they can handle playing guard. And look, I, Terrence Seal has exte- exceeded expectations and impact for a player who was undrafted coming out of Texas Tech. But... When everyone raves about Terrence Steele, Kevin, it's what you brought up earlier, right? He's a mauler as a run blocker. As a pass rusher, as a pass defender, protector on the edge, That's they've had some issues there. So you're looking at taking the best five and trying to get that skill set to mix. And they're intrigued by Steele at left guard. But I do not see it happening this year because of his injury. I just don't think they're going to have the time to to feel comfortable enough to unveil that in a game. Yeah. All right. We're going to try to cover a couple of topics here while we got David with us. Uh, we want to talk about too about the the play caller. We we talked about that some last week and the difference is going to be with Mike McCarthy calling his own plays and uh, and Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator. Uh, well, we didn't really talk about this with Schottenheimer. Will he have much influence on the actual? I mean, I'm assuming he's designing the the you know the uh, the system for each week, obviously. Sure. Uh, so, uh, what's his background as far as that goes? Is he more of a guy that obviously he comes from you know because of his dad and and uh, and because Mike McCarthy has an allegiance to his father? You, you would think that those are all those uh, uh, philosophies all dovetail pretty well. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're more enmeshed philosophically uh, than, than Kellen Moore was with Mike McCarthy. Um, because, again, McCarthy um, came up under Marty Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer's father. So uh, they're, that system really does course through their blood, and it's their, it's their introduction into the league, and they still carry it with them. So they, they have the same offensive DNA, so I think they're going to be on the same page from there. But you know what? I mean, it's Schottenheimer and McCarthy putting together uh, the construction of the play, uh, 
playbook every week, uh, what the offensive scheme is going to be, how they attack. Uh, it is, it'll be Schottenheimer who oversees the installation of that during the week uh, to work on certain things to see, you know, once you get to Friday afternoon to go, okay, well, let's keep this in, uh, but let's take this out. We're just not ready to do that. And it didn't look good. Um, and, and then like anything, so then McCarthy, but, but the play caller has the ultimate say, right? Because it's all about the feel of the game and reacting in the moment. And so once the game starts, it's going to be completely McCarthy. But it's a cl- collaboration going into the game between Schottenheimer and McCarthy to, to get the plan that they want and, and the way, uh, devise the way of attack. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how that's going to work, obviously. And, and, uh, and that's going to be as a, a constant topic during the season. You know, if it goes well, everyone will talk about how, oh, well, wasn't this a good idea? If it doesn't go well, everybody will say, well, see, he, you know, he doesn't need to be calling uh, plays. You know, Mike McCarthy doesn't need to be calling sure. plays. Sure, there's too much on his plate now. He's to yeah, he got overextended. I mean, there's a handful of guys that do that. David, how many off the top of your head besides uh, Andy Reid do you think of, of head coaches who are also calling? Well, you know, it's all cyclical. and It's been, it's been changing. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I think the uh, Sean Payton will do that in Denver. Um, you know, you've seen in, in, in Green Bay, you know, he's done it as well and and it kind of ebbs and flows, right? It, it, you did have everyone do it. And then you started seeing people peel back a little bit and now you're starting to see more of, uh, and certainly Miami, uh, you know, he was hired for his offensive expertise. So young coaches, when they first get the job, have to continue to do that. As they get older in their positions, you see them give that up sometimes because of the responsibilities of the job, but, uh, you often see them take it back to the, the way that uh, that Mike McCarthy has, and and uh, you know I know we want to go on and talk about some other things real quick, but I, but I'll just say too, that the things McCarthy keeps emphasizing this off season is I know a lot of people have made a lot of like well we we're going to run it more as we've talked about I think that just means be more efficient with the run and use it at the right times. So it's not necessarily running more. I don't think that the run pass balance is going to change dramatically. It's just how you go about getting into those runs and when you do it. And the thing he emphasizes more than anything, though, is protection. He he was a little uncomfortable with some of the protection schemes, and he thought that that led to the high number of interceptions by Dak Prescott last year. So, uh, you know, he was even talking in, in his press conference this week about how the running backs, their protection schemes and what they're looking for is different than the responsibilities and, and touchstones they had in the past. So all of this is about better protecting Dak Prescott, whether that means running in certain situations, whether it means getting the protection in line in a way that, that McCarthy thinks more sense for, for the way he likes a game to be called. And let's just, I mean, let's just call it what it is, David, right? I think you explained it, but not in so many words. These these guys who get jobs as young head coaches, as offensive geniuses, want to show off their offensive genius, so they call plays. Then sure. at some point in time, they get comfortable enough and realize that the job is so big, it's going to swallow them up if they continue to call plays. And then at the end of the cycle, when they're, for lack of a better term, when their ass is in a sling, yeah. you know, and their you job can go back to that. On, exactly. I'm going to take control because if I'm going to get fired, it's going to be, I'm, I'm not going to leave anything to chance. So it buys I mean, you time, kinda, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of the life cycle of a, of a head coach, particularly an offensive head coach, I feel like. Very much. And, and most head coaches in the NFL are offensive coaches. 
Speaking of life cycles of uh, head coaches, uh, Jimmy Johnson's <laughs> not going to be in the uh, Cowboys ring of honor, apparently, this fall. Uh, Jerry Jones announced that there will be no additions this year. Um, apparently, Jimmy popped off just a couple too many times over the last year or so uh, to, to completely make amends with Jerry and, and get back in the ring. Don't you don't you feel like, David, that 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 it just grates on Jimmy to know that he has to be nice to Jerry and can't say anything bad about him and that he just, he can't do it. I, I just don't think he can. I don't think there could uh, enough time can elapse with him just either being quiet about Jerry or saying something nice about him to enable Jerry to say, okay, I'll let you in the ring of honor now. And this is the only thing Jerry can hold over his head anymore, right? Because, no. Despite all of Jimmy's proclamations and declarations about how I'm in the Hall of Fame, I've done all this other stuff, whatever, it doesn't it means a lot to him because whenever somebody talks about as often as Jimmy does about how it doesn't mean anything to him, it means something to him. And and I think you're exactly right. I think um, you know, it, it's out there. He is going to go in at some point, but um, you know, this is for a very old reference that that hopefully no one on our podcast will get, like going back to Cool Hand Luke about getting your mind right. That's kind of what Jerry's doing, right? It's just like, yeah, if, you just, if you're just quiet and you actually say nice things about me or don't say anything about me for a couple of years, you'll get in. And I know people, again, this pushes everybody's buttons. I mean, this the other day, I mean, there, there was immediate response and people are going, well, Jerry lied. Jerry said on national TV he was going to put Jimmy in. Uh, yes, he did. Did Jerry ever say when he was going to put Jimmy in the ring of honor? No, he never put a time frame on it. And he will be put in. Uh, the, the interesting question is going to be, will Jerry be the one that actually puts Jimmy in, or will it be Steven after Jerry is no longer uh, yeah. with us, and well, maybe they go in together? Well, it could be posthumously for either one. I mean, for that matter, Jerry might do it after Jimmy's dead. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, well, who knows? Well, the way Jerry... The way Jimmy is, what if Jerry says, hey, Jimmy, call you up. Hey, Jimmy, want to welcome him to the Ring of Honor this year? And he goes, nope, don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I, I, listen, I don't think I, – I would hope that Jimmy wouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I, I, you know, the Ring of Honor is about what fans want. Um, and it's about what matters to fans. And I feel like Jimmy Johnson – is one of the 10 most popular people in Cowboys franchise history with fans. Um, and to continue to deny that is just petty. Uh, it speaks to not caring about the fans. And uh, listen, you can, you can dress up all your personnel decisions as trying to win a, a, a Super Bowl all you want. Um, and we all know that after 26 years of not going to the NFC championship game, that as a general manager, Jimmy uh, Jerry has basically failed. He's a failed general manager. Um, but he can continue dressing all that up as the owner uh, and saying he's trying to make the best moves. But when you when you take a, a, a gesture like this that is purely about what fans want and people who were important to the franchise and do this kind of pettiness, it's just sad. I mean, it, it's sad and pathetic to me. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be awful if they finally induct Jimmy Johnson into the ring of honor. Um, 
after he's gone. I think Jimmy deserves that, that, you know, that return and that welcome from Dallas fans. And I think Dallas fans want to do that. And every year that it drags a little bit longer and these two old men continue to be old, bitter men, I think it's just the fans here who lose. Yeah, I, I agree real quick. I, we, I know we got to go here, but I, I think it diminishes both of them. I think each of them believes this not happening puts the other in a worse light, <laughs> but but it yeah. diminishes both of them. You know, it yeah. really does. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Okay. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment of the podcast here. Uh, David, do you have any more time to hang with us, or do you got to go? No, nah, I got to go now. Sorry. He's got he's to go now, so we're going to talk about some other things, but, uh, but David will be back with us next week, uh, and we'll enjoy that when he's back with us. So, uh, so we'll see you, David. Bye. See you, guys. All right, uh, Evan, let's talk a little bit about uh, this thing here with the announcement of the uh, uh, Live Tour and the PGA Tour are merging, uh, which kind of just came out of the blue. We know that because of the reaction of the PGA Tour players who were practically apoplectic. Uh, we heard that they had a meeting with Jay Monahan in which uh, at least one player stood up and called him a hypocrite. Uh, and it, to which he said, yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was even calls, according to these uh, people who were talking about it uh, on the side, in which they said that uh, there was calls for new leadership. And a couple of times, players stood up and, and gave a standing ovation to those types of calls. So uh, this is a, a really crazy development. I, I got to tell you, I was telling one of my sons yesterday that, you know, professional golf and the PGA Tour has always kind of uh, practiced this thing that, oh, we're a, we're a gentleman's game. And, uh, and we're, we're built on honor. We're built on the honor system on you and reporting things that you do wrong. If you go off in the woods and we can't see you and you take a swing and you do something, it's up to you to report that. It's up to you to report if you have done things that uh, – that violated our, our rules. Uh, you know, that's, that's what the, the PGA tour has long stood for and has long practiced. And now they've gotten in bed with the colleagues. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, Evan, uh, I, I don't know how they get around this. I don't know how they just end up saying, uh, that, well, it's just about money. I, that was what, uh, our, you know, uh, our, our famous agent here, the guy that was the model for Jerry Maguire, uh, and I'm having a, a senior moment here, and I can't think of his name. Uh, that would be uh, Lee Steinberg. Thank you. Lee Steinberg tweeted yesterday that, well, uh, basically economics always went out in the end. Uh, and, well, yeah, I guess we can just say that, but does, does that make it right? No, it doesn't make it right, Kevin. But here, you know, that's your your interpretation of golf and the rules is is your interpretation. My interpretation of golf is that it's always been a rich person's game and that rich people are going to do whatever makes them richer. And ultimately, the PGA, it looked like, was running out of, of finances to pay these purses. And Liv was sitting there and the PIF was sitting there with more money. And so, yeah, as Lee Steinberg went, says, economics always went out because rich people want to get richer. And that's what that's what's happening here. Um, 
I would say it's a big win for the live golfers. Uh, I would say it's a huge blow for those PGA Tour golfers who thought they were standing on some principle. Um, but it also just lets us say, look, sports is not about – there's no principles in sports, professional sports. There's no principles here. It is about the money. And, you know, I go back to stuff that Charles Barkley talked about uh, when all of this came out that, look, at some level – we are all hypocrites. And at some level, we are all taking um, money or doing business with a corporation or a government or an entity at which we don't agree with. Uh, was it a little bit more direct here in, in the way the, uh, the way Live was set up? Yeah. But ultimately, it is what it is, that people are going to go and take the money um, and then they'll rationalize it afterwards. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the problem for the PGA Tour is that they got out in front of this and said, oh, listen, this is awful what's happened here with these players, and they're, and they're in bed with this government, and uh, it's behind uh, you know, uh, financing uh, the deaths of, of journalists, deaths of people worldwide, uh, and uh, in this terrible. And so the players got up behind that. And the, and the players stood and represented the PGA Tour. I got to tell you, in the history of, of rival leagues, you didn't really see, you know, other other players from a, a, the, the resident league criticizing players in the new league. You didn't see that back in the day with the ABA and the NBA. You didn't see that with the NFL and the AFL. That was just always between, uh, you know, the, the rival owners and the rival association. Well, the PGA Tour, the players got up and spoke for the tour. Jay Monahan didn't really have to say anything. He was getting all his defense from his players. And so now he comes up forward and says, hey, by the way, we're in bed with them now. And, and, and without even telling the players, no heads up, no nothing. And so and, and then now they, they expect the players just to go, well, OK, here we go. Here's the deal. Uh, and it's going to work this way. Now, obviously, the players aren't going to argue with the money they're going to make. Uh, you know, they're they're making more money. Uh, and, and what you said is exactly right. Yeah, the LIV, LIV players won. You know, they got, I'm, I'm assuming they get to keep these huge bonuses that they signed, uh, $100 million and more to some of them, Dustin Johnson. So they get all of that money, and it was just a year away from the PGA Tour, and you know, there, I guess there's still a possibility they might serve some suspensions or whatever. They're they're kind of leaving that out there. But I'm betting that's not going to happen. I'm betting it'll all just come back, and the guys will all be on the tour now. They made a whole bunch of money, uh, and 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 they won. And that has to make people like Roy McIlroy, you know, Justin Thomas, people like that, have to be just furious that I stood up here and said these things, and now you pulled the rug out from under me. Are, but but he, the question ultimately for me is, are they furious that they stood up for a principle that was ignored or are they furious that they lost out on big paychecks? I don't think, it, I, no, I, I, I don't think they'd be furious about that. I think they'd be furious that, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you have to be mad you're not getting that kind of money, but they, they were used, you know, and, and that's the thing. When have you seen, uh, you know, a league office you know, use its players like that. I, they said they've been working. Jay Monahan said they've been working on this and talks about this for, for several weeks. So this has been going on for quite some time here. And and to keep this under wraps all that time, and then just to, to tell the players at the last minute, I, first of all, Jay Monahan won't survive this. 
the PGA Tour will decide, the Board of Governors will decide, hey, you know what, uh, he's always going to be associated with this, and we got to get rid of him. We got to bring yeah, in somebody he'll get new. A, he'll get a nice uh, golden parachute, too. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and they'll and they'll move on to somebody else, and then and, and that and all this will settle down. There's no question about that. But in the end, I have a lot of questions about exactly what does all this mean. I mean, it, it seems to me that the Saudis now uh, have an overwhelming stake in the PGA Tour. I mean, I, I listen. Business was never one of my strong points. That's why I became a journalist. Uh, so, or one of the reasons why. So I, I'm not really sure on what everything is going to is going to entail in this new arrangement, but it certainly seems like they they turned the keys over to the Saudis here. Uh, if they're going to have uh, the biggest stake in it financially, well then why wouldn't they have the biggest say? I I, I will be very interested to see as time goes forward how they develop this. But you know this will this will be very difficult for a lot of people to accept, certainly on the PGA Tour. Uh, I was surprised that Jack Nicklaus uh, signed off on it. Uh, just last week, he was talking about uh, the players who had left and the damage that they had done. Uh, and I, I would have thought that he would have been somebody who would have said, I can't believe that this thing I helped build and, uh, and sustain with my excellent play over decades, that now this is just going to be fine. Uh, I'm not sure that Jack really understands everything this entails. Yeah, I, it, I listen. It's for me. There, there was this entire this entire argument is all just fraudulent at this point. Everything that the PGA Tour people were saying, basically, they just turned tail on and did a complete one eighty. So, yeah, the players probably feel used. They feel like pawns, um, and everybody saying, "Well, you know what? You're going to get bigger paychecks, so you'll be mollified." Yeah, well, that's it, and that that will that will end up being the the final thing. Now, and, and apparently, we get to keep team golf. I'm excited about that team golf. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is going to be very interesting to see how all this goes, how this uh, goes forward. You know, there is really no recourse for the PGA Tour players, right? I mean, this is this is what it is. Where else are you going to play now? <laughs> you know. You don't have a league you can go to, so you're just going to have to put up with it. And uh, and I, as I said, I think the only the only repercussion that's going to give the players any kind of uh, feeling of, uh, of of salve for this is that Jay Monahan will end up losing his job. I have no doubt about that. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast. He'll be okay. Week. He'll be able to go afford to play golf. Yeah, right. He'll be fine. Uh, in the end, that's always a fine thing, right? If you if you got enough money, it's everything's okay. Uh, so that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you'll come back next week, uh, and we'll have more to talk about. Uh, maybe not any more LIB stuff, but we'll have other stuff to talk about it, and probably talk about how the Rangers are surviving without Jacob Degrom, which is pretty much like the way they were surviving when he was still uh, relatively healthy. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.